0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. So I don't think it would be a mistake to say that justice, um, justice is a big deal in our day and age. So if you think about it, um, it's always on our screens or on your phones, or whatever, uh, protests against racism or Black Lives Matter, um, voting rights, environmental concerns, even LGBTQ plus concerns. These sorts of things fill up our news feeds, don't they? Um, so even recently, we've seen corporations, sports teams and governments uh, need to be seen with policies on social justice issues, it needs to be part of their values. And that's the world we live in today. So, as Christians, we've got to think about this. We've got to think about it because that's what everyone else is thinking about in this world, what our friends and neighbours are thinking about. So, what do we make of the idea of justice and injustice from a Christian point of view? What do we think about justice and injustice? Now, I don't really want to get into the good, bad and the ugly of the modern social justice movements. Um, People... Some, some are valid concerns, some are not so good. I don't really, really want to join in culture wars. But, so this sermon's not really going to address all those topics directly, but there are applications to them, and I'm sure you can make them yourself. Um, but I do want to look at what Micah says about injustice, what the Bible says about justice, what God thinks about injustice. And as we read through Micah, over and again, we'll see that God addresses specific concerns uh, about how people treat other, other people. So, how do we to care for other people? Well, Micah has a lot to say for that. Um, God's Word is what should guide us as Christians, as Jesus' people, when we think about all these other justice concerns that float around in the air of our culture. So, let's have a look at Micah chapter 2, and we'll see that God is concerned about injustice... And the good news, this is the good news, that God is concerned about injustice and he provides a solution to it in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got three points this afternoon. God's view on injustice, that's point one. Point two, God's word is opposed by unjust people. Point three, God's solution to injustice. So first of all, what does God think about injustice? What does he think about it? Well, that's there in verses 1 to 5. And in verse 1, the prophet Micah is pronouncing a woe, a woe. So it says, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do so. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take care of them. They defraud people of their homes and they rob them of their inheritance. We'll just stop there. So, what we have here is more than just a real estate transaction. It's more than just a house going up for auction. No, what's going here is in ancient Israel, in ancient Israel, land was allotted by God to the people, to tribes, to families. And this is the way that uh, God would look after these people, his people in an agricultural society. What do you need land for? You need it for food, you need it for houses. You need it for all sorts of things. You need it for your livelihood, don't you? And so, if you lost your field, your land, at best you'd become a worker in the field, in the land, or at worst you'd become a slave and you'd become indebted to the landholder. And so, what we have here in these first two verses is the problem powerful people in Israel had started taking land from those who couldn't defend themselves. They'd taken what didn't belong to them. Powerful people are taking what doesn't, belong, what doesn't belong to them. They want more. They want what they don't have. So verse 1 says, what does it say? There's a woe to these people, a woe. They dream and scheme at night about ways to get rich. They plot. They want to take land from people who are vulnerable and they wake up in the morning and they just take it. But what does God say? God has none of that. He has none of it. He's against this injustice. So while these these evil landholders, these land grabbers have been scheming, God has been plotting. You see that in verse 3 over the page, if you've got your church Bible, God has been planning. Just as they'd planned to take land from other people, God is planning to take their land. Verse 3, therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They'll taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot." Just as those who had taken land from others, now God comes along and says, You're going to have your land taken. So, verse 4 it says, These people are so blinded by their sin, their evil, that they complain that God is taking their land from them. They say, How he removes it from me, he assigns our fields to traitors. So, you might be thinking, How, how does this apply to us today? Now, I'd be surprised if, in your experience, you've seen land grabbing. Maybe you have. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. But the root of this sin, like all sin, is in the heart, isn't it? And what is the heart problem here? What's going on? It's there in verse 2. It tells us, they covet fields and seize them. You see, before they take the land from the vulnerable, these powerful people... Before that is a heart that covets. The sin has begun in their hearts. A covetous heart is what leads to this sin of land grabbing. And out of the heart led to this action. So, while you might not have seen land grabbing, I'm sure you've seen coveting. I'm sure you've had this sin in yourself. It's a sin we're tempted by, aren't we? So, what is coveting? What is it? Well, I'll tell you what it isn't, first of all. Um, coveting isn't want- wanting something nice. That's not coveting. It's uh, not even having a healthy ambition. It's not exactly the same as desiring something, um, because you can have good desires, right? But rather, coveting is wanting something that belongs to something else, someone else. That's what coveting is. It's wanting what someone else has for yourself. Coveting isn't just, I'd like a better house, or it'd be nice to have a better job. Coveting is saying, I'd like his house. Coveting is saying, I want her job. It's a heart that says, why can't I have that toy, and why do they have it? Uh, It's not fair that they got that Lego set when I didn't. Coveting says, I wish I could be like them uh, and have what they have or look the way that they look. If only I had that, uh, then I'd be happy. So that's coveting. When we covet things and people and objects, we're thinking not about the needs of those people, we're thinking about ourselves, aren't we? It's a self-love. And it's, uh, it's a disobedience to God. It's rather than obeying God and loving our neighbour as ourselves. A covetous heart comes out in the way we treat others. That's what we see here. Coveting leads to taking. And in this, uh, while we might not grab land, this same, this same thing comes out in us. The heart of coveting flows out in how we treat other people. You know maybe our friends maybe our family cops it when we're just pursuing what we really really desire maybe it comes out when we grumble and complain uh, about not having enough and or how, how, how terrible our situation is or our, or our house or quality of life or whatever so as christians we we're saved by jesus we have repented and trusted in the lord We need to fight this sin that can crop up in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to read these words in Micah today and remind ourselves that this is is our fight as well and that we have all that we need in the Lord Jesus. Christ is with us. Uh, Jesus says in John's Gospel that He is the bread of life, that whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is enough for us and so we need to ask Christ to grow in us hearts of contentment rather than saying oh, if only I had this if only I wanted If had this I'd be happy so rather than coveting in the, in the spirit's power we can trust that Jesus has our best interests at heart even if we have a lot or a little and knowing that he is merciful when we fall short so, God is against this kind of injustice here. You see what he's against? Against a covetous heart and against stealing other people's land. So, from verses 6 to 11, we get into our next section here. And it's, here we see that God's word is opposed by the unjust people. They don't want to listen to God, basically. Now, have you ever heard of a thing called selective hearing? Yeah, Okay. Uh, it may or may not be true, but this pathology of selective hearing is more prevalent in men. It's uh, like a filter for your ears. It's an amazing ability. Um, you only hear what you want to hear, and you can switch off things. Um, but in all seriousness, you can actually... You, this, is, this is right, right? Um, if you're in one room and then you, your name is mentioned in a conversation in another room, you kind of hear it, don't you? Do you yeah? Yeah? Okay, it's kind of like a, you're attuned to your name. It's kind of a selective hearing. But as we get into this section here, we see another kind of selective hearing. We find these unjust landowners have, can only, only want to hear what they want to hear. Rather than listening to what God says, they don't want to hear it. Uh, they want to hear something else. And they basically say to Micah here, keep a lid on it. Keep your mouth shut. We don't want to listen to you. Verse 6 says, Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You see? They don't want to hear it. Quit your preaching, they're saying. The unjust say that, you know, she'll be right. No disasters coming. No worries. God doesn't mind what we're doing. But God says, what does he say in verse 7? You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Uh, do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. They think God never judges sin. God never judges sin, we're all right. Disaster won't come, exile isn't on the horizon. Hush down about this judgment stuff like But God's word is opposed by them. They don't want to hear it. So what does God say? They're like an enemy, verse 8. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Those with power, you see, are waging war against people who can't defend themselves. They oppress the vulnerable. They take the clothes off men, it says there. They kick the women out of their houses. They rob the children of their blessing. So what does God say? You're not welcome. You're not welcome in my land. They have made the land unclean by their their sin. Verse 10 says... Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. They don't want Micah. They don't want that prophet from God. They don't want to hear God's message. What does verse 11 say? They want to form a selection committee and call a new preacher. They don't want Micah. They want a preacher who will speak to them about the things they're really interested in. Verse 11. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the profit for this people. That's an amazing verse. Someone who preaches God's word, don't want that guy. Pass. Someone who preaches about wine and beer, hire him straight away. Get him in. We'll pay the removal costs. Bring him on board. All the entitlements. Life is going to be a big party. We want to hear about that. The unjust, they don't want to listen to God's Word. They want to hear what they want to hear. They'd rather listen to lies. Friends, God's Word has hard messages in it. Micah is a difficult book to go through. There are hard things to hear in the Bible. You know, the reality that Micah raises here that we're sinners, uh, that all of us fall short of the glory of God, that God judges sin... And he actually names specific sins, not just general sins, things that they are doing. This is an uncomfortable message. So we've got two options here. Option one is to take uh, the option they took back then, to not listen. Isn't it? That's That's the option the unjust people have taken. They want to listen to anything, anyone else apart from God. And there's no shortage of people who want to tell us anything else apart from what God says. There's no shortage of people who love to say that God's word is irrelevant. There are plenty of people who want to say that it's just an ancient text, something we've moved on from, just plain wrong, harmful, don't listen, listen to me. Plenty of people want to say that to us. So that's the first option. That many people take but the second option is the better one which is to take on board the hard message to listen to a hard message because it is hard to hear about sin injustice judgment but shouldn't we want to know what God says shouldn't we want to know what God thinks because in the end that really is what matters just like a surgeon's scalpel is painful right causes blood. There's pain. You need medication to to get you through it. Yet the pain is good, isn't it? It's good pain because the purpose is to bring you healing, to make your body work well again. So God's hard message here is something like that. It brings pain when we realise how far short of the glory of God we fall. Yet this hard message is for our good See the end of verse 7? It actually says that there. End of verse 7. Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. God's word does us good. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than that two-edged sword, it cuts to the heart. It diagnoses our problems. It tells us where we're wrong. It confronts our idolatry, our coveting our selfishness god's word shows us our need for someone to save us that we need someone who lived a perfectly upright life for us it it shows us our need for jesus so kids if you're listening right now maybe the, the, the kids can remember this point god's word is for your good god's word does you good Listening and doing what God says is good for you, even when it's difficult and hard. It is for your good. God's word shows us who God is, that He's faithful, that He's just. He's incredibly provided a way so that we can know Him in the Lord Jesus. He's given the Spirit to help us to do that, and it's all for our good. So that's the second point. God's word is opposed by the unjust. And so what should we do? We should listen to God's word. So point three, God's people here, they don't get a good report card, do they? Michael's message is difficult and hard. He condemns their injustice. It's so, so bleak that verses 12 and 13 are kind of a shock when they come along. Verses 12 and 13 are a contrast. What are they? They're a message of hope. It's a message of hope. And this is the last point, God's solution to injustice. So right through the chapter, it's been saying that God will deal with the people for their sin. He'll bring exile into them. They'll bring, bring judgment. They'll go off into exile. He condemns their injustice, their failure to listen to him. And God will deal with them justly. And yet, and yet, he does not forsake his promises to them. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thought. Through judgment, there is hope. This is God's solution to injustice. He is going to gather the people again. A remnant, it says. He's going to bring them together again. And He will be their shepherd king. God's solution to injustice is to bring them together, bring a people together who will follow Him. So, verse 12 says... I, sh- I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together a remnant of Israel. I'll bring them together like a sheep in like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They'll break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord at their head. Now, so notice who's doing the doing all this here. Who's doing all this? It's God, right? It says, I will gather. I will surely gather. I will bring together. I will bring them. God is going to do it. He is going to do it. Now, this is, this is incredible. God is the one also to send them to exile, right? But he's going to bring them back. They have broken covenant with God. They're rightly judged. And yet, even now, there is hope for them. God alone is their hope. God brings both judgment and salvation. He is their saviour, the one who does not break his promise to them, to Isaac, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The promise that he would be their God and they would be his people. So he will gather a remnant, even after they've been scattered away. He will collect them, he'll bring them together. So verses 12 and 13 likely refer to a specific moment in Israel's history. Um, When a remnant of uh, Judah uh, were in in refuge in the city of Jerusalem, the Assyrian army would come along. um, They'd come through the land many times, several times. But eventually, King Sennacherib would lay siege to Jerusalem itself. That's about 701 B.C., and the Lord would gather them in the city, a remnant of them in the city. And like sheep, God would lead them to pasture. He would lead them and save them in that particular moment. Salvation is from the Lord. God always wants to have a people for himself, friends. God wants a people for himself. This is one of the great themes of the Bible. God gathers his people, and he has gathered us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God always gathers and He's gathered us in the Lord Jesus. Christians, the church, is the gathered people of God. And who does it? It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who gathers. And this even applies to us as a local church as well. We, Grace Church, only exist because God has gathered us. This is really important for us to remember as a fairly new church. Please never forget that God is the one who gathers. He longs to gather people into local communities, into local fellowships, local bodies, to worship Him, to serve Him and each other, and to tell the world all about Him. That's why we're here, because we believe that the gospel, God's good news, is the way that God uses to gather people into His church. And this means we can trust God to do the gathering. We can trust God to gather his flock. We can trust that God will bring people into his flock through the work of his gospel. He will bring people to know Jesus and he will keep them in Jesus' flock. Because in the end, these verses really point us towards Christ, don't they? There's more going on than just the exile back then. The prophets do this all the time. They kind of leave you hanging, kind of wondering, um, is this it? Or whether they're speaking of a greater reality to come, and that's what's going on here. Because in Jesus we see one who is perfectly just, upright, one who truly listens to the Lord. And we, as brothers and sisters, are gathered in him as one who deals with our sin, our coveting hearts, our injustice. In his death and resurrection for us. Jesus is the great shepherd king, isn't he? The chief shepherd. He is crowned as our leader, our Lord in Christ. And there's only one great king, a king of overall creation, a king who's the greatest leader of all, the head of the church, who deals with the, who will deal with a problem of injustice in his world once and for all and he will reign he will rule and he will bring peace so in Jesus the solution to injustice is found so as we wait for for Christ to restore all things uh, we're told that while we wait to pray the Lord's Prayer which what, what does it say one of the lines says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven So we live in a world of injustice, don't we? It happens all the time, all the time. You don't have to look very far in your own life or around us uh, to experience it. So we pray, your kingdom come. And as a church here, we follow our leader, our head, our king. And we get to live and work and inhabit life, the classroom, relationships. We get to live lives following our king. And he leads us. We get to live lives which treat others fairly in the power of God's Spirit, with generosity not grabbing and coveting. We live lives which uphold and defend those who are doing it rough or mistreated. We live lives which are shaped and formed to live Jesus' way as we gather together uh, in Christ as a local community here following our King. Jesus is the solution to our injustice.